Welcome to the Vineyard Northridge Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by our senior pastor, Neil Haney. For more information about our church, visit our website at vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge. God is good. All the time. Amen. I don't normally do stuff like that, so don't. I'm not going to say turn to your neighbor and say you look, you know, whatever. But God is good. That is, that is something that we know for sure. Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Um, I'm going to pray for us one more time. And um, I hope I'm not boring you with this prayer, but this prayer that's on my heart to just pray over and over again for this church. Um, I'm just going to pray this again and then lead it right into the sermon. But come, Holy Spirit. Come like a flood. Come like torrential rain from above. Come move among us with power to save, to heal, to deliver, to share the gospel, to see the lost saved. To see the, the broken healed and made whole. Come move among us with power. Drench us, stir us, don't leave us unchanged. God, would you come and do in our day? And oh, about us, someone would say, did you hear about that great move of God? It's exciting to think about. It stirs our hearts, and that's all fine. But God, deep down, deep down inside of our hearts, this is our cry. Oh God, let this be the place. Let now be the time. God, I pray for your a fresh filling of your spirit for me as the messenger this morning. God, thank you for Mark. Thank you for, for Dennis Kozlov. Thank you for these men that also share... Uh, the word from the pulpit. But Father, thank you for the opportunity this morning to come and share with this congregation, this precious flock that I've been a part of for 32 years now. God, would you anoint me? And would you use me to speak your truth to this church? And may this go out of here and around the world and bear much fruit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. This morning, um, and again, there we go, uh, the call to discipleship, which is kind of a worn out phrase, but you know what, it, it's still the call. God, God called us to be disciples. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, his self, the self-life, the flesh, take up his cross daily, it says in Luke, and follow me. You know, for Jesus, the cross was a real cross. It was God's will. In the garden, he made that clear. Father, if there's some other way, don't make me drink this cup. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Your will be done, Lord. And the father said, son, there's no other way. You have to drink the cup of all the sins of every person that's ever lived and ever will live. You've got to drink that cup to the dregs. You've got to take sin into yourself, become sin, and put sin back on the tree where it came from. And so Jesus drank the cup. He became sin. He took all our guilt, all our shame, 
all our, all our uh, infirmities and iniquities and allowed Roman soldiers and Jewish leaders to put him on that tree and hang there as sin, our sin, and die for us. Sin died that day on the cross. Of course, that's not the end of the story. Three days later, he rose again. And the beauty of the gospel, according to Paul, and according to uh, the saints of the ages, is that not only did Jesus die that day, but we died with him. He died for us, but we died with him. He wrapped up the human race in himself as the last Adam. Just like the first Adam plunged us into sin, the last Adam took us, took us to the cross, crucified you and me there in our old self, the old Adam in us, and took us to the grave. And then on the day of resurrection, as he stepped out of the tomb, he stepped out of the tomb with you and me in him. And we've been raised with Christ. Look it up, Romans 6, first few, cha- first few verses, Romans 6. We are raised with Christ to live a new life in the Spirit. So we deny self. We take up our cross. Now, what is our cross? What is your cross? Is it your spouse that you can't get along with? Is it that really irritable old boss at work that you can never please? Is it your arthritis in your left knee? Is it, is it um, uh, you know, the, the debt that you just can't seem to pay off? No, that's not your cross. Those are burdens, which Jesus says cast on him because he cares for you. Your cross is God's will for you. Good news. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. He had to go to a cross and be nailed to it and hang there. You and I simply need to deny ourselves, our flesh, our selfishness. Take up his will. Father, what is your will for my life? What is your will today? Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. I'm going to share that cross with you. We're going to carry this thing together and follow me. Walk with me, be yoked with me as we go together into the future. The writer of Hebrews put it this way, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, as you run the race marked out before you. There's a race that's marked out before each one of you. And because you're a part of this church, corporately, we run this race together. We run this race together. But we run the race yoked with Jesus. It's really precious. And so the call to discipleship is a call to take up God's will and follow Jesus, walk with Jesus, yoked with Jesus, and go where Jesus wants to take us. And so this morning, I want to talk about where Jesus wants to take us. And the first thing I want to talk about, I can't get this to advance, here we go. God is not calling us just to be nice people. (laughs) I want to read something from a book by Bill Johnson. This book is called When Heaven Invades Earth. And uh, incidentally, this flows right into what I'm trying to say this morning. When, when Jesus was with his disciples, um, this one particular time, they came to him and they said, Master, 
show us how to pray. We don't really know how to pray. Would you show us how to pray? And Jesus said, yeah, when you pray, say, Father, Papa in heaven, holy be your name. Hallowed be your name. Uh, May your name be held in highest esteem. May your lives bring glory to the Father in his name. May your kingdom come. In other words, may your rule and reign come on earth. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, guys, the, the majority of the church for the majority of the last several centuries has prayed that prayer like we say nursery rhymes. I grew up in, in traditional church. We always said the Lord's Prayer. It was right there under the doxology. We sang the doxology, and then we said the Lord's Prayer, or as the Catholics call it, the Our Father. And it goes something like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Blah, 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 blah. We might as well be saying Mary had a little lamb. Her fleece was white, or their fleece was white as snow. And everywhere that Mary went, the lambs were sure to go. For the impact that it had. Do you understand what Jesus was telling his disciples to pray? I don't think he just said that to be poetic. He said, pray your kingdom come, your rule and reign come upon the earth, and your will be done as it is in heaven. Well, let me ask you something. How many sick people are in heaven? How many dead people are in heaven? How many depressed people are in heaven? I mean, come on, guys, seriously. Jesus doesn't just waste words. In fact, God never wastes words. And when he says to his disciples, and you're his disciples, because this is a call to discipleship, pray this way. Your rule and reign come on the earth. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when I call you to be a disciple, if you decide and choose to follow me, you will deny your fleshly, selfish desires. You will take up the Father's will whatever that is, and you will follow me. You will be yoked with me. You will move with me. You will run the race marked out before you in my power, in my spirit, in my name. And you, through you, God will bring his kingdom and God will do his will. He wants to bring the kingdom of God through his church. That's why he left us here. That's why as soon as we got saved, we weren't raptured into heaven because God left us here for a reason. At one point, he t- and we're going to refer to this this morning, he says, I send you out as sheep among wolves. Well, that's a comforting thought. What do wolves want to do to sheep? Eat them. Jesus said, hey, by the way, boys, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Good luck with that. But you know what? We're, we're safe in him. If we're in the middle of his will, if we're in the center of his will, can't touch this. MC Hammer. It's a quote from MC Great spiritual leader, MC Hammer. Can't touch this. So in, uh, in this book, When Heaven Invades Earth, and by the way, Bill Johnson has taken that, the Lord's Prayer, and that, that section of the Lord's Prayer where, it's, where we're taught to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. And he said, if Jesus wasn't joking about this, then why is his kingdom not coming, and why is his will not being done? 
Because the church really doesn't believe that it can happen that way. But again, Jesus doesn't just waste words. He doesn't tell us to do things so we'll fail. When he says, I send you out as sheep among wolves, he's basically saying, don't worry about it. I got you covered. You're going to go and you're going to do things and you're going to experience danger, but you're also going to be dangerous. And we're going to talk about that too. So listen to this. this uh, Heaven invades earth is, is Bill Johnson basically fleshing out what it means for, he- for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven and his kingdom coming. And incidentally, that was Jesus' message. You know, it says that he went out and preached the gospel and he sent his disciples out to preach the gospel. If the gospel is Jesus died for your sin, then what was he preaching? What was he saying? If the gospel is Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood to pay for your sins, which is that much of the gospel, it is part of the gospel. What gospel were they preaching? (laughs) I love this. This is such a vineyard value. They were preaching the kingdom of God is here. The king is here. And the king is is the one who rules and reigns. And Jesus demonstrated that rule and reign when he calmed the storm. He had power and authority over nature. When he raised the dead, he had power and authority over death. When he healed the sick, he had power and authority over disease and infirmities. When he forgave the paralytic sin, you remember that story? His friends, four friends lowered the body of their friend who was quadriplegic through a roof and set it down in front of Jesus when he was in a house that was so crowded they couldn't get in the door. What did he say to him? You're healed. Get up. He goes, no, he goes, your sins are, son, your sins are forgiven. Go. He told the woman caught in adultery, your sins are forgiven. I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Had victory. I had authority over sin. He could forgive sins. He could heal diseases. He could cleanse lepers. He could open the eyes of the blind. He could challenge religion. The worst, worst things about religion are religion. I hate religion, and so did Jesus. He hated religion. If you're confusing Christianity and following Christ with religion, I hope you get that straightened out today. Please do not leave here a religious person. So here's what, so, so when heaven, heaven invades earth, Bill Johnson is flat, fleshing out in this book what he believes about the kingdom and what he believes about the gospel and what he believes about your kingdom come, your will be done. And he says this, I'm not impressed with anyone's life unless they have integrity. If you have power without integrity, it's worthless. But I'm not happy with their life until they're dangerous. Sheep with teeth. (laughs) As much as I have the ability to do so, I will not let those around me get away with just being nice people. Jesus didn't save you just to be a nice person. He saved you to be dangerous. He saved you you to be dangerous. Dude, at this point in my life, I'm, I'm doing a lot of deliverance ministry lately. I go into a a session with somebody that's about to be delivered from a demon. And all of a sudden, they start getting really nervous. And they're like, dude, I don't know what's going on, but I I feel real jittery, and I feel real antsy, and I feel nervous. I'm like, yeah, that's a demon. He knows he's about to be expelled, and he's really nervous. It's not you. It's him. So don't worry about it. 
I just love that, man. I, I want the enemy to shudder when I come in a room, man. I just love that. And I, I'm, I'm just Neil. I'm just, I'm not, guys, honestly, the, the only difference between you and me is this microphone and the fact that I can't stand on the stage without falling off. No, I'm kidding. But, but seriously, that's why I don't like to be called Pastor Neil or Reverend Neil. or I like to be called Bishop Haney at times. <laughs> but, but generally speaking, I just want to be called Neil because I don't want any special like, accolades or, or titles or anything that separates you from me. Because honest to goodness, if you had followed me through my life, you wouldn't be that impressed, okay? Honestly. Because I'm no different than you. I just, I just decided at some point that I was going to follow Jesus. And, and, and just like I said in college, Lord, here am I. Send me. And he's like, okay, I'll do that. When I, when I agreed to the call to go into ministry, I was terrified. Many believers have made it their primary goal in life to be well-respected citizens of their communities. Good character enables us to be solid contributors to society, but most of what is recognized as Christian lifestyle can be accomplished by people who don't even know God. Every believer should be highly respected and more. And the and more part is what we've often been lacking. And I'll just, spoiler alert, it's power and authority and actually doing the work of Jesus on this earth. While character, while character must be at the heart of our ministries, power revolutionizes the world around us. Until the church returns to Jesus' model for true revolutionaries, we will continue to be recognized by the world as merely nice people while it's overcome with disease, torment on its way to hell. How about that for a quote? While we're being nice people, the world is being tormented by the enemy and harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd on their way to hell. The church is the only entity that can stand between people that are broken and lost and wrecked by sin and devastated by the enemy on their way to hell. We can come in between them and say, "Don't you don't want to go that way. Let me show you what's real and we show people what's real oftentimes by healing them or or intervening in some way by praying for them and and basically showing them that Jesus is real what Scott shared and and uh what Amy shared and uh who else shared that Doug and others you talked about what's real what really happened in your life People want to know that there's a real God that cares about them and will come in between them and whatever it is they're, they're being uh, devastated by, by the enemy, because the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I came to give you life. And what I want to, what I want to talk to you about this morning is the fact that he gave, that, he gave us uh, his life so that we could continue the work after he left. He said to his disciples... Last Supper, I'm going to leave. And they're freaking out. They're like, no, don't go. Oh, where are you going? Can we come with you? Don't leave us. He said, I'm going to my Father. 
but I'm coming back. And it's for your advantage that I leave. Because if I leave, I'll come back. And I'll bring the Spirit with me, and I'll bring the Father with me, and we'll make your house the temple of God. And we'll live through you. And the works that I've been doing, you also will do, and even greater works than these. That's what he said. But you know, Jesus, before he left here, before he left and went to the Father and sent his Spirit, he spent three hours with his disciples. Remember that? Those three hours? Right? Was it three hours or three days? How long did he spend with his disciples? Oh, it was three years. That's right, yeah. Yeah, why did he spend three years with his disciples? They were hard-headed. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's a good one. Yeah. Not only were they hard-headed, they just didn't get it. They were carnal. They hadn't received the Spirit. They didn't, Jesus told Nicodemus, unless you receive the Spirit, unless you're born of the Spirit, you can't see the kingdom. You can't live in the kingdom. You've got to be born of the Spirit. And so that's why he sent his Spirit. You know, Jesus, Jesus sent his disciples out to do some amazing things before he, he, he sent the Spirit. But when he got ready to leave here, he told his disciples, he's like, look, I'm going back to the Father. Do not do anything. Don't hold any committees. Don't go start a ministry. Don't go, don't go start a 401, or a, what do you call it, a, a parachurch you know, organization. Just go into the city and pray until I send the Spirit. And then you will receive power from on high. And then when that happens, then you go and do what I've been doing. And they're like, Jesus, is it now that you're going to establish your kingdom? And we get to be, you know, your royal, you know, court, like King Arthur in the round table. Can I be Lancelot, you know? He's like, no, dummies, go pray. I'm sending my spirit, and then you'll get it. And as soon as the Spirit came, they understood everything he'd been teaching them for three years. But the point is, he had to spend time with them, and they had to spend time with him. And that's my second point. God is calling us to seek him first. Man, Mark said it so well last week. Thank you, brother. He doesn't want us to to run out and and work for him. He didn't say, you know, I've given you this cart to pull. Now go pull it. He says, no, come to me, and I will give you rest. Learn from me. Take my yoke upon you. I'm gentle, humble of heart. I'll teach you what you need to know. I'll give you a real rest, and then we're going to pull this thing together, and your yoke will be easy, and your burden will be light, and we'll do this together, and and you will do amazing things because you're with me. And he tells them the night that, you know, that last night when they're together and John, he's like, in John 15, he says, he says, abide in me. You can do nothing apart from me. Really? You know how Americans usually approach Christian ministry? Okay, God, I've come up with this great idea. I'm going to start this ministry to whatever. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this. I'm going to work really hard. We're going to take this city. Please bless what I'm going to do. Bless me now as I go out and do your work. And the Lord's like, what are you doing? I never told you to do that. I told you to do this. Abide in me. Seek me. Seek my face. There's there's two scriptures, one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament, about seeking him that I just love. 
in, in uh, I think it's 2 Chronicles 26.5, or it's 25.6, I can't remember, it's one or the other. It's about Uzziah, the king of, of Judah, and he was the longest reigning king in the history of, 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 of uh, any of the kings of Israel or Judah. He reigned for 52 years. That's a long time, guys. 40 years was considered a blessed reign. He reigned for 52 years. He was under the influence of one of the great prophets. And I believe it was Elijah. I'm not for certain, but I just know this. The scripture said, as long as Uzziah, as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. Step forward into the new covenant. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Mark quoted this verse last week. He, he was talking about the first part of it. Those who please the Lord must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Wow. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Uh, Jeremiah 29, 13. uh, You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart, and I will be found by you, says the Lord. Isaiah 55. um, I believe it's verse 3. Seek the Lord. Oh, no, it's verse 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Go after God. Seek the Lord. Seek encounters with Jesus. Seek His presence. Seek seek Him. Just seek Him. Forget about everything else. Abide in Him and you will bear much fruit. Jesus says, He stood up on on the last and greatest day of the feast and cried out, If anyone comes to me, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And John said he was speaking of the spirit that had not been yet given. Rivers of living water flowing out from them if we come to Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? Man, I need another hour. Are you guys okay with that? If I'd had time, what I was going to do is I was going to take you to Isaiah 61, which is, which is uh, uh, the call of the Messiah to the ministry that he would do. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for uh, you have anointed me to preach good news to the poor. There's the gospel. To open the eyes of the blind, to deliver those that are oppressed by, um, basically by demonic spirits, to set the captives free, to give an a, a, oil of gladness for, for a spirit of heaviness, I mean, all the things that, that Jesus did, when John the Baptist was in prison, he wasn't quite sure. Somebody, I think Dennis mentioned this a couple weeks ago. He wasn't quite sure that he had gotten it right about Jesus, his cousin, being the Messiah. And after he had been thrown in prison and nothing's really happened, Rome's still in charge, Herod's still doing his thing, has, has John arrested, thrown in prison, he's basically waiting his, awaiting his execution. And John's going, you know, this isn't playing out like I thought it would. And so he sent two of his disciples and said, Jesus, John wants to know, are you the one or, or is, are we to expect another? And he says that he heals, heals the sick, he, he raises the dead, he, he casts out some demons, he, you know, blind people start seeing, lame people walk, 
He just does all this in front of them and says, now go and tell John what you've seen and heard. Go and tell John that I'm fulfilling Isaiah 61. When he begins his public ministry, he goes back to his hometown in Nazareth. He's got, it was time for the scripture reading. Uh, someone pulls out the scroll of Isaiah. Well, you're supposed to read a, the prophet and from the Pentateuch, which are the first five books of the Bible. So you're supposed to read from Moses' writing and then one of the prophets. When it came time for the prophet reading, the prophetic reading, Jesus opens the scroll to Isaiah 61 Reads that where it says, you know, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to heal the sick, to cast out demons, all that stuff. He rolls it back up and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, by the way, the gospel. He rolls it up, hands it to the attendant, and then sits down in the seat of the Messiah, which no one sat in. And everyone stared at him. And he said, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I'm here. The king is back. The Messiah has come. And he begins his public ministry. In the Gospel of Luke, he raises two dead people, Jairus' daughter and uh, the widow's son in, uh, in Nain, this little, little town of Nain. He cleanses lepers. He casts 6,000 6, demons out of the gathering demoniac, the, the legion of demons. He does all this incredible stuff. He calms storms. He does all this. And then he's called his disciples. Only five chapters after he, he presents himself in Nazareth, he commissions the 12 to go out and do the exact same thing he's been doing. Two chapters later, he, he commissions 72 more people to do the same thing. Heal the sick, cast out demons, proclaim the gospel. So it spreads from himself to the 12 to the 72. And then at the end of the gospel of, John, of, of Mark, let me just read this real quick. Mark 16 He says, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes in their hands. And when they drink poison, it will not uh, hurt them. And They will place their hands on sick people and they will be healed. And when Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. The disciples went out and preached everywhere and the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by the signs that accompanied it. And then Pentecost happened and the church began and about 150 to 200 years later, it fell asleep. The enemy just stole its power. It took away whatever it had that Jesus had intended. And for about 1,800 years, the church has been asleep. So I'm going to... This is the final thing I'm going to do here. So I, I shared with you Isaiah 61... I want to drop back one chapter. You guys have heard this before. Most of you, some of you are new. You haven't heard me share this. I believe that we are being awakened. I believe the church of God, the church of Christ, the bride of Christ is being awakened to resume what we lost 1,800 years ago, only in greater measure than ever before. 
Isaiah 60, which is the, towards the end. This is the prophetic future that Isaiah is writing about. Arise, shine, for your light has come. He's talking to the church. He's talking to his bride. And the glory of the Lord rises upon you. There's a dawning that's happening. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick dark darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and, the, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. The Lord is waking his bride. In fact, there's three things that God is doing to his church right now. He's purifying her, he's unifying her, and he's glorifying her. So there's a, there's a purification that's happening. And prophetically, I've heard several pro- pro- prophetic people say, we're probably headed into some pretty rough times. The world is headed into some pretty rough times. The nation is headed into some pretty rough times. But it's in those rough times that the true church, the true church, many will fall away, it's, Jesus says in, in Matthew 24, when those times come. But the true church will be refined like precious metal and we will come through pure and, and clean and Jesus is preparing his bride for the marriage supper of the Lamb. But then there's a unity that's happened. Jesus prayed, oh God, may they be one even as we are one. Well, there's 35,000 denominations right now and Jesus is not a Mormon. He's not coming back for brides. He's coming back for one bride. She will be unified. That's happening, guys. I see it happening, and it's glorious. It's beautiful. But he's also infusing his glory into his church. He's infusing himself into his church, and we're beginning to look a lot like him. At the end of of 2 Corinthians 3, it says, As we with unveiled faces behold the Lord, we are being... We reflect his glory and we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. We not only reflect his glory, we absorb his glory and shine forth his glory. It says, nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. There is is a glow above the eastern horizon right now for the church. The sun has not yet risen on the church But there's a glow in the eastern horizon. I see it prophetically. Lift up your eyes and look about you, it says. All assemble and come to you. Your sons and daughters from afar. Then you will look and be radiant and your heart will throb and swell with joy. And the days of your sorrow will end. Then will all your people be righteous and they will possess the land forever. And And they are the shoot I have planted the work of my hands for the display of my splendor, my glory. The least of you will become a thousand, the smallest, the mighty nation. I am the Lord, and in its time I will do this swiftly. I'm telling you guys, this is going to happen quickly. It's not going to take another thousand years to make us who we need to be, what we need to be. This is going to happen swiftly, quickly. God is moving God is raising up his church. God is uni- he's purifying his church. He's unifying his church. And he's glorifying his church. So buckle your seatbelts and get ready. Final thing, and this is the, the last point, and I probably already. Oh, no, God is calling us to a life. God is calling us to a life of Holy Spirit power. That's what he's doing. That's what he's doing. He's calling us to, to function in his fullness, in his fullness with his spirit. 
That's what he's doing. That's how we're going to display his glory. He's not just calling us to be nice people. He's calling us to be powerful people, full of his spirit, full of his power, preaching the good news and displaying the, you know, the, the declaration, the proclamation of the, of the gospel and the demonstration of the power of God. That's what he's doing. That's what he's getting us ready for. Now, let me ask you this. You don't have to raise your hand. Just answer this in your heart to the Lord. Which of you are ready to move with this? To be a part of this army that God is assembling? It's been said that the church is the greatest army that's never been deployed. God is about to deploy his army. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Demons are trembling right now. Because they know the time is come for the church to rise up and to be glorious and to take back what Satan has stole. It's time. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about our church, visit vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge.